You can just open that for me. Let's get right into the text. This is what I want to share with you. Um, this is the main text for our, for our message today. Um, the sermon title is On Your Mark, okay? On Your Mark is the sermon title for today. And, and I, I just ask you to listen with a, a, a hearing of faith, okay? When you're hearing this word today, I want you to hear me as if it is you and I that is sitting in this room and we're having this particular conversation. The word therefore that the Hebrew writer, we're not sure who the Hebrew writer is. Most commentators, uh, Bible um, uh, commentators say that it, it's possibly Paul because of the language, the literary, the literary style that he uses, but we're not sure. Okay, But the writer of Hebrews starts off this section in chapter 12 by the word therefore. When you're reading that word therefore, it is very important. In the Greek, it is in the uh, emphatic particle. What, what, means is, what that means is it's very, uh, the writer is strongly linking what they have spoken prior to this with this section that they're about to speak. So the word therefore strongly links what the writer is about to say with what they have said in the previous chapter, which is chapter 11. In chapter 11, the writer of the Hebrews spent a whole chapter speaking about the different people in the Old Testament who lived their life by faith, by trusting in what God had said and by trusting in God's plan over their life. These were people who, who are ordinary like you and I. You know, often when we hear the word of God and we read about stories of these great men and women of God who did extraordinary things, we are tempted to think that they had some kind of special super, uh, super powers like the movies that we watch, the Marvel movies that we watch, that they had this special ability to withstand the challenges that come in their life, that they had this special strength, that they were just uh, inhumane in the way that they dealt with the challenges that were thrown into their life. But we know that the writer, in, in James tells us one particular thing. He says, Elijah was man just as we are. He, he was the same human being as you and I was. But when he prayed, the rain stopped for three and a half years. What James is teaching us is that when we read the Bible and the, and the people that we're reading about, they are ordinary people like you and me. You know, when I, when I went to Adelaide, I told the youth this one thing. I am not a preacher that this, don't put me in a place that I, that I am not. I am an ordinary human being just like you, just like me. We are all human beings. The apostles ripped their clothing at the idea when they preached the gospel, when they thought these men have, are, are like gods. That's what they thought. The understanding was these men are like gods because of the miracles that God was doing through them. But what we learn is that the people that the Hebrew writer speaks about in chapter 11 are ordinary human beings like you and I. That gives me hope, friends. That gives me hope to know that if God used them, God can also use my life. There were people who the writer, people the writer mentions are people like Enoch. You know, when you read about the account of Enoch, we don't know many things about him. In, in Genesis chapter 5, 24, it just mentions that Enoch walked with God. The testimony of God about this one man named Enoch is that he walked with God. He lived about 300 and something years. This was before the flood. So people lived prolonged years. And then God cut the, the, the age of man short. He lived with God in those 300 and something years that he was on the earth. The only testimony that we have about Enoch is that he lived 
and walked with God. The details of his life are not given to us. Heaven's account for his life is that he walked with God. The writer mentions someone like Noah. Noah, check this out, Noah is living in a time that is filled with wickedness. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that everything that every human being at that time did, the inclination of their heart was evil all the time. They, didn't, they disregarded God. They didn't have the fear of God. They, they were practicing wickedness. And in the midst of that, there was this man named Noah. And God whispers something to him. He whispers a plan for his life. And he says, Noah, I'm about to do something in your days that has never been done before. And I'm going to send a great flood to wipe out the people of this world. But I'm going to deliver you and save you. And what I want you to do, Noah, is to build an ark. And you're going to take all my creation inside of that ark. If you were Noah, just put yourself in Noah's shoes. I mean, you'd be like, God, like, sounds crazy what you're saying. But Noah trusted in what God had said. And every day he gets the hammer, he gets the nail, and he begins to build on the promises of God. He did that for 100 years. You know, I was telling you, like, where is courage for, for just short moments? This man, for 100 years, built an ark and at the same time, Peter tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. The Hebrews writer tells us that when he preached, he condemned wickedness. So he was preaching, guys, repent. Turn from your wickedness. Don't go down that path. God is bringing judgment. God is going to bring his deliverance, but you need to turn from your wickedness. And the people did not regard his message. Can you imagine that? Preaching for 100 years and no one listening. Do you know what frightens me? With a holy fear is what the words of what Jesus said. He said, before the Son of Man returns, before I come back to redeem the church, before I come back to, to put a final, finality for everything, for every evil, Satan will be condemned. In my return, it will be the final judgment. Before I come, I want to give you a sign. The days that the generation will be living in, it will be like the days of Noah. When I read that, I began to remember what was the days of Noah. We're living in a time where the word of God is preached in every single style that you can think of. The word of God is preached in every language you can think of. The word of God is preached by men and women. The word of God is preached on the television screen in live in person. But we're living in a time where people are not hearing the word of the Lord, where people are rejecting the word of the Lord, where people are disregarding the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, it will be like the days of Noah. It will be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. What highlighted the era of Sodom and Gomorrah was sexual, pervert, uh, sexual um, perversion. It was homosexuality. And we are living in these days. But God commends this man named Noah because he dared to trust in what God had said. Next is Abraham. The writer mentions this man named Abraham. And the writer says that when God told him, hey, Abraham, get up and go to a land that I will tell you about. The Bible says that Abraham just got up and left, even though he had no idea where he was going. Can you imagine that? <laughs> he's living with his family. He's living with his extended family, with his children. And God, he has this encounter with God. And Abraham, uh, and God tells Abraham, I need you to get up. And I need you to go to a place I will tell you about. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Just keep walking. And when you get there, I'll let you know. Can you imagine the faith 
the trust to get up, pack up his things and go. I was, I was sharing with Ayu this idea and she said to me, yo, yo, you know, like we always talk about Abraham. How about his wife? <laughs> like, honey, pack up your stuff. We're about to leave. And she just trusted that God is leading them. You know, often it is the, the woman or the, the woman in the marriage that are, that are in the back scene, but they're the ones that are strengthening. Even Abraham, his wife, Sarah, trust what God is doing. So I want you to know that God commends all of these people. He mentions people like Rahab. The, the Hebrews writer says, Rahab, the prostitute, by faith, she hid the spies that came into her land because she believed that God was with them. The writer ends chapter 11 by making a profound statement. They were all commended. That word commended is praised, applauded, complimented, honored for one thing. All of the people in the Old Testament that we read about, they were commended for one thing. The Bible tells us they were commended for their faith. These were all people, people who had run their race and what God commended them for was that they trusted him. Despite all the mess that was going on, everyone had a different story, a different race. One thing God counted in the end is that they trusted me. She was my daughter who trusted me. He was my son who trusted me. He didn't trust the voices that were around him. He didn't trust the voices of the professionals. He didn't trust the voices that are on the street about him. He trusted what I had said to him. She trusted what I had spoken to her. Before we go forward and highlight four important things that we get from Hebrews chapter 12, I want to just ask you one question that I pray will ring throughout this year in your ear. I want to ask you this thing. What will your eulogy read? A eulogy is a speech or a piece of writing that praises someone or something highly, especially a tribute that someone who has just died has. When someone passes away, someone gets up and they have a eulogy about their life. Such and such passed away, but we want you to know that such and such a person did this, achieved this, was this kind of person, and they highly esteem them, and they highly put them in a pedestal, and they celebrate their life. That's the eulogy. I want to ask you, what will your eulogy read? There is a eulogy that earth has an account of our life, and there is a eulogy that heaven has, the real account of our life. In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, this is what the Bible says. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. The end result of David's life, this is the commentary of heaven upon David, is that David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died. David didn't serve his own agenda. David, David didn't run around fulfilling his own mission and his own vision and his own dream for his life and he wanted to build an empire and a kingdom. No, what David labored for, what David ran for was for the voice he heard when he was a young boy. When God spoke to him and anointed him and said, I am setting you apart and you're going to be the next king of my people Israel. David trusted in the vision of God for his life. What will yours and mine read if we were to die today? It's a sobering question, isn't it? If our life was to cease today, not tomorrow, today, 
This is why I love the Bible. Because it brings us in line with truth. <laughs> in line with truth. Not in line with fantasy. Not in line with what's true for you is true for you. With what's true for me is true for me. No such thing. There are absolute truths that govern our world. There is one God that's an absolute truth. There is not many religions, thousands of religions. No matter how much you want to get offended, there is one way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the question that I want to ask you, if you were to die today, what would your eulogy read? We know what man will say about you because man will say what they see on the outward. Man will say what they observe seeing your life. But there is a eulogy of heaven and that's what matters most to me. I love it when, when, when I was young as a Christian, when I came to the Lord, one thing that God set me free and delivered me from was living for other people. I used to. Before I knew Jesus, I lived for other people. <laughs> Everything I did was to please other people. Everything I didn't do was to please other people. I hid and I did the things that I wanted to do so that my leader doesn't see me, my parent doesn't see me. So my fear wasn't for the holy God, my fear was for the people around me. And what God delivered me from is for living a life that is so tiring, living to please other people. We were never designed to be man pleasers. We were never designed to be people pleasers. We were designed by default in the beginning to please our heavenly creator. I want to ask you before we move on, what will heaven commend you for? Just like the stories of the people that we read about in the scriptures, I want you to know this thing. Your story is being written today. You know, we're reading these and we're like, whoa, this man, this woman was excellent. I want to ask you, do you know that your story is being written today? Imagine if your life account was written today in one of the chapters of the Bible. What will it read like? Ayu was a wonderful mother who lived with two children with a husband named Yoyo. She was from such and such a place and she lived her life and she built a nice house. She had a nice car and such and such and such. Is that what we want to be remembered for or do you want to be remembered for? Ayu was a woman who had many issues, who had many uh, short, uh, shortfalls, who had many struggles, but she trusted in the living God. And she walked all the days of her life to please him. The image that the Hebrew writer paints for us in chapter 12 is one of a race. I want you to picture what the Hebrew writer is painting an image for us. He paints this image and all of the saints of the Old Testament who had already ran their race surrounding them as a witness. So I want you to picture yourself in a stadium, in an athletic stadium, and you are on the pitch. You are the one that is in the athletic race, in the run. And all the audience that are surrounding you are the people of the Old Testament who has finished their race, but they're there as a testament of what God had done in their life. Have you ever seen a basketball stadium in the NBA? I don't know if there's a lot of basketball fans here, but have you ever seen a basketball stadium in the NBA? The t-shirts of NBA greats that have gone before the players that are playing on the court hang on top of the stadium. And those t-shirts are numbers of legendary players who had played the game and finished well. When the players look up at their numbers, they know the player, the number it represents. The story of that basketball player. 
how they made it to the Hall of Fame. When players see the number 23 of Chicago Bulls, they know that they failed, that he failed to make his high school basketball team. So as they see that number, they're celebrating the achievement of Michael Jordan, but they also know the story of Michael Jordan because it's a witness to them. He didn't even make it to the high school basketball team, yet he persevered. So encourages the players on the field, I will also persevere despite my obstacles that I'll be going through. This is the image that the writer gives us. The saints of the Old Testament who finished well, ran their race, are surrounding us as a great cloud of witnesses. They are witnessing to the faithfulness of God. When we read about the people in the Bible, they are witnesses surrounding us. But guess what? We are the one on the mission field now. We are the one that is running the race in this generation. And there will be a time where you are no more on this earth. And there will be a time where the next generation takes over and then they look back and you hopefully will be a good testimony and a good witness to encourage the next generation. Hey, if God works through me, he now can work through you. You know, Billy Graham is no more. He passed away. He's graduated. But when I read about his, his life, I get encouragement. When I read about how he resisted God as a teenager and how he went to the church service to bring about trouble did you know that? If you read his, his, his uh, biography, he went to the church to start a fight. He wanted, this preacher came from overseas and his, there was this crusade that was happening. Him and his friends went to start trouble, but God arrested him. He had an encounter with God and someone who was a nobody came from a farmer's house who resisted God, who rejected God, all of a sudden became someone that God used to win over millions of souls to the kingdom of God. I get encouraged by reading his eulogy, by reading the testimony of heaven about his life. They are witnesses of the faithfulness of God. Point number one, four quick points and we finish. This is the most important point. If you'd forget anything that I've said today, I want you to remember this. There is a race that is marked out for you. Young person, old person, it's in the middle. Hear me carefully. There is a race that is marked out for you. The writer says, therefore, yes, in other words, God has used these people in the Old Testament. He commended them for their faith. They trusted God. But therefore, I want you to know they're surrounding you as evidence of God's faithfulness and their witnesses to you. But you now have your own race to, to run that is marked out for you. Other translations say the race that is set before you. News, news, thing that, uh, news flash that I want to give you today is that we don't choose our own race. You are not in charge of your own destiny as much as that sounds very encouraging. No, you are not in charge of your future. You are not in charge of your destiny as these motivational speakers will tell you. No, there is a destiny. There is an end goal. There is a pathway that is marked out for us. There is a race that God has already marked out for our life. And it begins from the very family that we're born into. You had no choice about that. But Paul tells us in Acts chapter 17 that God determined the families that we're in. And you might be complaining, yo, yo, I'm part of a family that's messed up. There's a lot of toxic things in my family. There's a lot of challenges. How can you tell me that it was God's plan, God's agenda for me to be part of this family? I want to tell you that it was part of God's plan, part of God's sovereign wisdom to put you in the family that you're from. 
Because from that family comes a testimony. From that family comes a message. God is going to shape you and mold you. And from uh, the uh, part of your story and part of the race that is marked out for you is from the very beginning of time when you were born and conceived into this earth. You are not a coincidence. You are not an accident. You are not a product of two human beings making a decision. You were ordained and you were put onto this earth by the wisdom and the plan of God. It begins from the family that you're placed in. You didn't choose that family that you're part of, but God placed you in there for a reason. Your story is being written. I love what God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. The Bible says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, Moses aid, Moses, my servant is dead. <laughs> now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. <laughs> He's finished his race. He's with me now. Joshua, now you need to get up. Now then, you need to get up. You and all the people, you need to get ready for what I'm about to do through you. There's a race that Moses had run and he's finished his race. But now you have a race that I've marked out for you. And it's time for you to get up and begin to run in the race that I've put before you. I love this. Moses had a race that was set before him. And now Joshua is to get up and get ready for the with the people to run the race that God has for that generation. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, we get the key. This is the key. This is the key that we need. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Church, the key that we need to understand this first point is that the common denominator in every generation is one thing, and that is the everlasting God. And that is that God is going to be with us as he was in the previous generation. As he was with Moses, I will be with you. That's all that matters. Joshua, he wants him to know, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the things that are ahead of you. I've got a way that I'm going to make. I've got a, I've got a plan for your life. But I want you to know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. As I help Moses run his race, I will also be with you and I will never leave you. Church, are you on your lane? Are you on your mark in a race? The word on your mark is basically for every athlete, every runner to be on their lane. The question that I want to ask you today, are you on your lane? Are you on the lane that God wants you to be in? Whatever uh, plans you're pursuing, whatever things that you want to run for, are you on the lane that God wants you to be in? The second thing that we get out of these three verses is we are to run with perseverance. In other words, quitting is not an option. Oh, how I wish I preached this to myself <laughs> when I was really about to quit. And I thank God that he had grace and he came to me and he spoke to me at the right time. But in this race that God has for you, quitting is not an option. There will be hurdles and obstacles that will come as you run your race. Just like a hurdles runner, there will be hurdles before you. 
That's why the Bible, I love it. It's truth. It deals with us with truth. Jesus didn't say, come follow me and everything will be sweet in your life. No, he said, come and follow me. You may have many trouble, but I have overcome the world. Whatever hurdles are before us, the, the, the writer is telling us this race that is marked out for us, that is set before us, we are to run with perseverance. We are to persevere through it. We are encouraged, number one, by the clouds of witnesses who faced hurdles in their life. The Hebrew writer reminds them in chapter 11 of all of these people he celebrated, but they had so many obstacles. They had so many hurdles. They had moments they wanted to quit, moments they wanted to give up, but they persevered because God was with them. God did not let them fall, and God is not going to let you fall, and God is not going to let me fall. But the writer gives us our greatest hope of perseverance. Yes, they're encouraging the clouds of witnesses. Yes, when we look to, to David and we, we can get encouraged because David fell in sin, but when he humbled himself, God picked him up. But the writer reminds us of our greatest hope of perseverance. He said, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In other words, our strength comes from him. Our courage comes from Jesus. Our faith comes from him. The writer said to us, consider Jesus, how he endured the cross, how he endured sinners when they came against him, and he persevered. When you are discouraged, consider Jesus. When you're about to quit, consider Christ. Our greatest example is Jesus and his life upon the earth. Every other Old Testament example, yes, they're witnesses of God's faithfulness. Yes, they show us how we can persevere, but they all fell short. They all needed the help of God. But one who walked on this earth perfect, sinless in all his ways was Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, we get encouragement to run the race that is marked out for us. When Jesus came into this world and he began his ministry, he understood his mission. He understood his assignment. He understood why God had brought him here in his divine wisdom. It was to bring about salvation for humanity. And church, I want to tell you as we begin this 2022 year, that you are not a coincidence, that you are not an accident, but God has brought you forth into this world and he set before you a race to run. And my challenge, my encouragement today is for you to run the race with perseverance that God has marked for you. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Listen to what he says about Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, Moses, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered, how? Because he saw him who is invisible. Church, the only way that we'll persevere in the challenges that life brings is when we see a revelation of who Jesus is. When we have an understanding of who our Lord and Savior is. When we have a relationship with him that is genuine. When we know him, not know about him, when we truly know him, I am telling you, I'm a witness for you today. When you are low, he will come and he will speak with you. When you, are, when you are going through so many things, he is there for you. He will not give up on you, even when you give up on you. Jesus is there. And what we need to have is a revelation of who he is, to have an encounter with him, to have a moment where he marks us for the rest of our life. When we are discouraged, because Jesus is our example, we look to him for encouragement. And Jesus says this, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. When we are weary, we look to him for strength. For Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
when people come against us, we consider Jesus, how he persevered with all of the people that he had against him. Against him. Number three, almost done. The writer tells us, number one, that we have a race that is marked out for us. Number two, this race, we are to persevere no matter what obstacles come along the way. And number three, the writer reminds us, if you are going to endure, if you are going to run the race, if you're going to run and finish the race well, you need to throw away excess weight. Throw away excess baggage. You have to make a decision that in 2022, I'm not going to go into this new year with excess baggage and excess weight. When I was on my flight to Adelaide um, last week, the, you know when the, when the flight attendants, they come in the middle and they demonstrate for safety reasons when in case of emergency, such and such, this is what you do. What stuck with me is the last words that they said. They said, in an emergency, after you put on your life jacket and all of those things, if we're to exit the plane, leave everything behind. Do not take your luggage. Do not take anything. Just put your life jacket and run from there. Why? They said that the baggage will slow you down. And possibly you'll end up losing your life because you're caught up in the things that you should take with you when there's a more greater um, greater thing that is before you. Athletes, athletes, they wear clothing and shoes that are extremely lightweight. Why? The excess weight will slow them down. Every gram matters in an athlete. Every, every weight that is on their body, that's why they wear clothing that is very lightweight in material because nothing that they, uh, when they're running, they cannot take any excess weight. This is what the, the writer tells us. We are to throw away everything that hinders us as we run this race that is marked out for us, quickly, what are the things that hinder us from running? Number one, comparison. Comparison. We are living in a social media age and we're, live and, and we're com often comparing ourselves so much to the people around us. The social media age that we're living in makes comparison so much easier. And what we compare ourselves with are snapshots of people's highlights that are edited. We are comparing, I love, you know, the social media uh, influencers that really expose the real pictures, like how they suck in their tummy and they have to go in a certain angle to look in a certain way. And they show you the edited version and they show you the real version, the filters that they use. And young people are always looking at those things, comparing themselves, and it discourages them from running their race. Oh, I will never be as good as that person. I will never. God has never called us to compare to the left and to the right of the people around us. What Jesus said is fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Imagine if Joshua got stuck comparing himself to his predecessor, Moses. Imagine if he said, God, I'm never going to be a good leader as Moses. I'm never going to lead people like this with so much passion and authority. I was under him for so many years. How am I going to lead? For 40 years, I was under him. I'm never going to amount to anything. That's why God comes and he speaks to him and encourages him. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you, Joshua. Don't forget about Moses is dead. <laughs> He's run his race. Now you are here. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Joshua? Joshua, did you know? had a, um, his own race to run. But did you know Joshua also led the people of God to cross a river? <laughs> Moses led the people of God to cross a river. 
if he was comparing himself to Moses, he would be like, God, I need a staff. Like, I need a stick to, to call it, and then the water is going to split. I mean, that's how he did it before. But God gave him a new method. That's how I used Moses, but I've got a new way that I'm going to use you. You take the Ark of the Covenant, and the moment the priest stepped on the water, it was split open, and you walk right between the waters. Church, comparison brings discontentment and discouragement. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I don't know who this message is for. It's for someone in this room. Stop comparing your life to the person on left and right, to the person you're, you're seeing on social media, to the person that seems like they're having the best time of their life. They're not. <laughs> you know, when we look at to, to these famous artists and these famous movie stars, we're like, oh, they're having the best time of their life. They're human beings. They've got the same weaknesses that you have, the same fears that you have. Let's stop idolizing people. And let's say, God, this year, I want to be focused. I want to know your plan for my life. I want to fix my eyes on that. No matter who, whatever people say about me, whatever is happening in my life, I want to trust you. And I'm not going to compare myself to anyone moving forward, God. Let that be the prayer of our hearts. That's excess weight that God wants you to throw away. I struggled with that. I see my friends from Bible college they, we graduated the same time, and I see what they're doing in ministry sometimes, and I just, I'm like, God, like, really? <laughs> like, we finished the same time. You, like, why are they in that place, and why am I? And God had to teach me, stop comparing yourself, my son. That's the journey I'm taking him on. I'm taking her on. This is the journey that you're going to be on. So be persistent in the journey that is before you. Second one, something that can hinder you, the past the past we will never move forward in running our own race if we're stuck in the past whatever the past may be for you failures of the past mistakes of the past even achievements of the past if you're fixated on the past you will never be able to move forward in the race that God has marked before you Paul said this forgetting what is behind me I press on to the goal forgetting what is behind me Paul had a bad past, but once he received the mercy of God, he changed and he ran his race. He said, I used to be a violent man, a persecutor, this, 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 that. But now, by God's grace, I am what I am. And I'm going to run the race that is marked out for me. I'm going to continue to press on. He didn't allow the labels of others, the terrible person he used to be, to hinder him from what God had for him. Third, vision. No vision for, of the finish line. Having no vision for your life. Just running and going with the flow will hinder you, will slow you down. A runner will not run effectively if they do not see the finish line or the purpose of the race. If you have no vision, you will run aimlessly. By the way, just because you are running doesn't mean that you are getting anywhere. The Bible says that Paul in, in, in Acts chapter 9 was running to and fro. He was going up and down. He was busy. He was a very busy man. He had a lot of things. He was getting letters from the priest. Then he was going and he was saying he was going from that city to this city. He was arresting the Christians, putting them in prison. Paul said in Acts chapter 26, I was convinced that what I was doing was God's will. Paul was running to and fro for his own vision for his life. 
until God had to blind him to see the, his vision for his life. And my prayer is this afternoon, you did not come here by coincidence. I don't care who you are. You did not come here by coincidence. You came here to hear this word. Stop running for your own things in your life. God is saying, my child, surrender to me and run for the vision that I have for your life. Have a vision for your life that is my vision for your life. Don't come up with strategies of how to, how to get this and how to become that. Seek my face in prayer and fasting. Ask me, Lord, what is the will of God? What is your will that, for, that you have for my life? And run for that. Lastly, the thing that hinders us, lack of discipline. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 5. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Paul is bringing this comparison again. He's saying a soldier is so focused on the mission Okay, he's so focused on what, he's so disciplined in what his mission is, he doesn't get into civilian affairs. Can you imagine a soldier going to one of the missions that they assign in a foreign nation, they're going with, the, with their guns and, and looking for the enemy, and then they put their gun down and they're playing soccer with the, with the people of the village. Like, they're distracted. They're not disciplined enough. And, and before they know it, the weapons are down, their guards are down, and the enemy will come in. So Paul says, just like a soldier is focused, be disciplined, be focused. No matter what your friends are doing, no matter what they're showing on Instagram, no matter how hyped their life looks like, young people, be disciplined in what God has given you. I'm telling you he's not going to fail you. I'm telling you that God's plan is better than man's plan. I'm telling you that it may seem like you're missing out on things. It may seem like they're having all of these things that, that you're missing something out. You're not missing out on anything. Let me tell you that God's will, God's plan for your life is far greater than anything that you can orchestrate for yourself. I never dreamed of being in the position that I'm in. I had no talent, I had no ability to be here. But I, all I said was, God, yes to your plan. Now I'm not saying you're all gonna, you know, it's not, it's not about having grand plans that are, you're gonna be in platforms. It's not about that. It's about walking by faith in what God has put before you every single day. God, I'm going to serve you today. I see there's needs in my church. I'm going to serve you, God. I see in my workplace, there's this brother or sister that, it, that I see them always, they look, they look down, I'm going to invest in them. God, I see someone in need in my life, I'm going to bless them. It's living by faith, living by his method above our own. Malikit, you can come up. Finally, the writer tells us, throw away the sins that easily entangle us. So he said the things, everything that hinders us, and he said the sins that so easily entangle us. I don't have time to dig deep into this, but the enemy is so crafty in making us disregard God's word, God's truth, to embrace his lies. And the writer reminds us, if we're going to persevere, if we're going to run our race, don't get entangled with the sin that can easily drift you away from the house and the presence of God. It starts off a little bit. It starts, it, it, it starts off with just small things. But the writer reminds us it's not worth it. And we're reminded in the scriptures of the devastating consequences of people who got entangled in sin. You know what I don't understand? I don't understand people 
who don't learn from the mistakes of other people. <laughs> I had one young person said to me, uh, I remember I had this conversation with her, and I, and I just gave this person the word that God had given me for her. She said, yeah, like, here you are, I hear what you're saying, but I just, I, I want to go through it myself. <laughs> like, I want to experience it. My prayer, young person, old person, in-between person, is that we learn from the people that have tried it. Let's learn from David's sin. Do you know what the prophet Nathan said to him? The result of why David was there? He said, you despised God's word. Let's get to the bottom of things. Anytime we're practicing sin, <laughs> it's not about not listening to our pastor, not listening to the leader. We despise God's word. The God who saved us, the God who delivered us. Nathan, I love Nathan because he's a prophet that speaks the truth. Not the prophet that tickles the ears of the hearer. He goes up to David and said, you are the one that despised the word of God. And we see the consequences that came as a result of that. But you can recover from the fall. That is the good news. When David humbled himself, he recovered from the position that he was in. I don't know what situation that you're in today, but you can recover from the fall. Solomon, his son, also despised the word of God. The word of God laid out clear instructions to not marry someone who's an unbeliever, and he married many of them. <laughs> and he reaped the consequences. The kingdom was torn in, in, in two. He began to sacrifice and worship foreign gods. Let's learn from the consequence of sin. Getting entangled in sin is a direct result of despising the word of the Lord. And we are to humble ourselves. As you rise to your feet, I want to finish my message today by asking you this question. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and these are rhetorical questions that you need to answer for yourself. I want to ask you this afternoon as you're starting off the new year, are you on your mark? Are you on your lane? Are you on the, on the path that God has laid before you? And it's a process of, God of you discovering God for yourself. Of you saying, God, I want to go on this journey of faith, of trusting you for every step for my life. Are you running your race? Or are you running the race that God has set before you? I see so many people, it saddens my heart, they're running their race. They're living their life their way. But when you humble yourself and say, God, I've done it my way and I give up. I want to surrender to your will. I want to surrender to your way. You'll be shocked at what God will take. When you put your life in his hand, you'll be shocked at what he will do through you. If God can take a, a person that, uh, that murdered people and make him the author of the majority of the New Testament, what will he do through you and me? Church. I want to encourage you today to be running the race that God has set for you. I want to ask you another rhetorical question. What will your eulogy read? What will the person that reads the account of your life in the end of your life, what would they read? Such and such a person was very educated, 
very respected by many members, had multi-million dollar industry and business, very wealthy, had the most beautiful wife or beautiful husband, they had many children. Is that really the end of the eulogy that we want to ask our life to be read? Well, you can have all those things if it's in the will of God. And you can say, this man, this woman, they ran the race that was marked out by God. I want to ask you, church, what will heaven commend you for? That's what I care about. There are many things that people say about me I couldn't care less. But what I care about, what God, what are you saying about me? God, if I'm going astray, I want to, I want to be put in that place of humility to say, God, I want to return. How will your life story play out, church? My prayer is that you also are commended for trusting God for His plans over your life. That in the end, like Paul, you may jointly say, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my race. I promise you, church, I'm not lying. I'm saying what God's word says to you, that God has marked before you his race for your life. And God wants you to run that race. In this room, I'm telling you, there is a room filled with, with lanes. I see lanes. There's lanes. That's why I put that picture. There is lanes. Yes, there's hurdles, all these things. But God is with you. And trust him for his vision for your life. It might be completely opposite to your vision for your life. But when you humble yourself and submit to him, God will take you and use you and make you a blessing for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pray that we stay in the lane that you've given us. Oh God, I pray for my generation. I pray that we'll say yes to your will, that we say yes to your plan, that we'll say yes to your way. Lord, that we would understand that your ways are higher than our ways, that your plans are higher than our plans. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your thoughts than our thoughts. Oh God, may we put you in your rightful place in our hearts, knowing that you are the Lord, you are God of our hearts. Oh God, may we not rely on our wisdom, on our intelligence, on our plans, on our strategies for our life, but may we spend time as we begin this year seeking your face and asking God give me vision God give me a burden in my heart God give me direction God give me give me your the, the, the footprint of the race that you've set before me and church that doesn't mean that you're going to have it all figured out that doesn't mean that you're going to know how to go from point A to point B all it means is that you trust God for the next step God might show you just the next step like he did with Abraham Abraham pack up all your stuff now go to a place that I'm going to tell you when you get there I will tell you your job is to walk obediently in faith with him trusting him they were commended for their trust in God's plan they were remembered because they trusted God's plan they were commended because they dared to believe even when no one else believed even when the generation was against them even when everyone else was doing something else they said God I will build upon your plan God I will build upon your rock I just, I love the imagery of Noah. He's building the ark, one hammer after another, one nail after another, knowing he's being mocked. No one is listening to him, but he knows the God in whom he's heard. He's been, he's had a revelation of the God he's telling them about. He knows this God. And today, 
If there's anyone that wants me to pray with you in agreement, as we're worshiping, I want you to come and we're going to lay hands on you. I'm going to lay hands on you and pray over you. If you're saying, yo, yo, I want to I wanna live for God for my life. I want to run the race that is marked out for me. I don't want to be held back anymore. I don't want to go into this new year with excess weight, with excess baggage, whether it's unforgiveness, whatever is holding you back from pursuing the plan of God for you. Today, decide. Whether it's fear, some of your fear is holding you back. The fear of the unknown. Some of you is the excuses that, you've, that you have uh, built up in your mind like Moses. God, I can't speak. God, I can't do this. God, I can't be in parliament. God, I can't be a lawyer. God, I can't be this. And God wants to silence the voices that are in your head. And he wants to reveal himself to you. As we begin this year, let us hear what God is saying. God is saying, my child, run. Run the race with perseverance that I have marked out for you. Consider Jesus. He's saying, fix your eyes on me. Jesus and fix your eyes on me. I will give you hope. I will give you encouragement. You have a choice, church. No one, whoever they are, can make you do anything. But I pray you submit to the Lord today. Not tomorrow, today. And you say yes to His will. So as we enter worship, if you want prayer for anything, you want to respond to the word that we have heard about, just come. Don't look to your left or to your right who's going to come. No, no, no. I'm speaking to you. If the Spirit of God is doing a work inside of your heart, come.